Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJuria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, it's Charlotte winners Steve Johnson and Dallas Glenn. Eric Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. A first time for one and a long time for the other. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Loans, back again with another episode of The Insider. Kind of a unique situation, at least as it has been over the last couple of seasons here, as we have a post-race show and a pre-race show because we're going back-to-back, coming off of Charlotte last weekend, heading to Houston this weekend as the Camping World Drag Racing Series really begins to pick up a bunch of steam here in 2021. Incredible race in Charlotte. The four wide nationals, uh, whether you love the format or not, produced a really wild set of final rounds, a great set of winners, stories all over the place. It would be... Um, we could make 20 shows off of that one race. You want to talk about Krista Baldwin. You want to talk about Mike McIntyre. You want to talk about Terry Haddock, Dallas Glenn, Steve Johnson. Talk about John Forrest. Talk about Steve Torrance. Every single one of, every single one of them provides some compelling storylines. Of course, Krista Baldwin, Mike McIntyre Jr., and Terry Haddock advancing their way out of the first round. Three underdog heroes that were loved and continue to be loved by fans. That was big news. I think when we look at our winner's circle, you know, John Force has now won races in five decades. It is an unparalleled accomplishment in motorsports in America. It is an unparalleled accomplishment in motorsports across the world. And I'm talking about professional motorsports. There have been professional athletes who have competed in five decades, guys like Satchel Page in baseball. Gary Player has actually won golf tournaments in five decades. But as you can tell, we have. Um, a small group of us have di- have really kind of gone face first into a lot of a bunch of sports history to try to find anything that is equivalent to this in any other professional sport, and so far we have found nothing. We have Steve Johnson's story, who we will talk to. He's, he'll be our first guest on the show today. Steve had not won in seven years, his last win coming at the Gator Nationals. We're going to talk a lot about how he has revived, revamped, and in some ways um, revitalized his program. And now he comes in with the quickest Suzuki in the history of drag racing, and he's doing it his own way. In the history of pro stock drag racing, I should say, and he's doing it his own way. But we can talk about Steve Torrance, and Steve Torrance's just complete resilience and his team's resilience, when they get knocked down by somebody like they did Antron Brown in Atlanta, they just don't let it happen twice. And that's really been their hallmark over the years. The consistency of making full runs, the consistency of qualifying well and winning races is one thing. But the more important and more impressive part of their team is not necessarily the winning of races, in my mind, because that's an expectation we have of them. It is their ability to rebound And again, it's not some crushing thing to lose in a final. For some people it is, but for them it's not. They rebound from first-round losses. They rebound from final-round losses. And typically, when we look back at what they do, that next event, whether it's the next weekend or a couple weeks down the road, they come out swinging. I mean, it's it's really an incredible type of um, fortitude that that team has. They do not knock on wood for them, find themselves in ruts, If they do, they are very narrow and very shallow ruts that they jump right out of. And then there's Dallas Glenn, who will be our second guest on the show uh, today. What a story. I mean, you know, this this guy is doing what uh, the, you know, Dorito-eating, internet key-slapping schmucks say is impossible. You can't. You can't just come in as a regular guy and drag racing and work and fight for your shot to get bull. Just ask Dallas. Ask Dallas if you can do it. Of course you can. Is it easy? No. Is it entirely pleasurable along the way? Probably not. But you know what is pleasurable? Being prepared, being ready, and then when the moment comes, having it not be too big for you. And not even not be too big for you. Having command presence in the moment. We're going to talk to him about his past in racing, his history, of course, his weekend in Charlotte, and a lot of different things I got on my mind because um, in in any scenario when we have a guy or a girl or any competitor like Dallas Glenn 
who is really showing us aptitude that he knew he had. We just had never seen it on this stage. It's not like anybody was doubting his ability. I made the joke when he qualified. He made his first qualifying run in Gainesville. I said it was the most composed and beautiful first competition run of a pro stock driver maybe in the history of the class. And that's because his work history, obviously, having been and still being an integral part of KB Racing, he has watched, analyzed, witnessed, visualized, scoffed over, kicked rocks over, thought about, slept on, dreamed about driving a pro stock car in ways that most other of us, uh, most any of us can't even imagine. And he was ready for the moment then, and he certainly continues to be ready for the moment now. It's going to be fun to get in his head a little bit about that. Let's talk a little bit about Houston now that we've touched on some things with Charlotte and uh, perhaps the most major uh, difference between Houston and Charlotte at this point is looking like Mother Nature. In Charlotte, we could not have ordered more comfortable, beautiful weather. Saw a lot of sunburned fans on the in the evenings when we'd go out and grab something to eat after we finished uh, working for the night. We'd head to whatever local watering hole or restaurant we could find and packed full of NHRA drag racing fans, most of which had sunglass tans and sunglass sunburns kind of burned into their heads. It was just a, a glorious weekend of weather, and we are looking at a challenging weekend on the forecast in Houston. I am certainly not trying to dissuade anybody from going. If you're a drag racing fan and you're not going to go to Houston and you're in the area, uh, that is poor decision-making on your part. But facts being what they are, when we look at the weather forecast, it looks like it's going to be interesting. And what does that mean? Well, if things play out like it may, that means potentially some limited qualifying. And that means having to maximize whatever shot you may get. And in the pro stock category, there are 21 cars entered. And uh, I don't have to tell you what that means. If you go out there and shake the tires during qualifying session one, uh, you may be up the creek if qualifying session one turns into final qualifying. And qualifying is still planned Friday evening, one shot, two shots on Saturday, and then eliminations on Sunday, as is typically the case. But um, this is, we go from a weekend of, uh, you know, in the weather side of things anyway, just complete um, stability. No real questions. I mean, the, the racetrack temperature itself only varied about 20 degrees to uh, what could be a very, very, very unpredictable weekend down in Houston, Texas. And hey, from my seat, I like it that way. I like it weird. I like it unpredictable. I like when we see scenarios pop up that may benefit the balance of power for teams that, that may be short in some degree. You know, I, I like to see situations where everybody's kind of playing off their back foot because it's in those situations in drag racing or in any sport where you actually find out who is the best at what they do. It's, uh, you know, success has many fathers and failures an orphan, right? That's That's been the saying forever. And so when, when things are calm and things are predictable, then we find out typically that the teams who are the most versed have the most data have the most background, can succeed in those scenarios. When it is weird, and it is unpredictable, and it is uncomfortable for everyone, those are the times where we really get to see how people respond and how they act when they are pressed. And I feel like those are the times where teams that have maybe a little less experience, that don't know what normal is, maybe the teams that operate maybe in a little bit of a chaotic fashion by nature, because of how they're set up or because of what their manpower is or because of the fact that they're, you know, kind of using localized help at every race they go to. Maybe in that scenario, teams that live in the chaos can deal with the chaos a little bit better. We're going to find out, and I cannot wait to get down to Houston. It's been uh, certainly great to get uh, some back-to-back -back races here. Once we run Houston, we get a couple weeks off before we go to Epping. Very important announcement regarding Epping, New Hampshire, regarding the uh, NHRA New England Nationals up there. Two things, really. The most important announcement is 100% capacity is allowed at New England Dragway now. There is no capacity restriction at the drag strip, which means that they are going to sell every seat they have. There was going to be, uh, at least leading up to uh, planning for the event, there was some contingency there that maybe there was going to be a 50% or whatever capacity restriction. Uh, that is out the window. So New England Dragway, uh, they are selling tickets now. You go to NHRA.com, go to NewEnglandDragway.com, get your tickets, come out and support the New England Nationals, 
and I should actually properly name the event. It is the Tascaparts.com NHRA New England Nationals presented by Bandero Premium Tequila. Tasca stepped up. The DeJoria family stepped up as they are the proprietors of Bandero Premium Tequila. And uh, they really have done a huge service for their fellow racers and for the series by stepping up to be the title and presenting sponsors uh, on this race. And it's cool because they both have New England roots. Obviously, the Tasca family is legendary in the New England part of the world for their uh, legacy of performance and their legacy of uh, providing great service and, and great you know experiences for their uh, car shopping customers. They've sold more Fords than maybe nearly anybody else in the world at this point. And they continue to have success there, especially with the TaskaParts.com business. And Alexis DeJoria's roots are from Rhode Island as well. So uh, two Rhode Islanders stepping up to support this New England race at one of the grand old drag strips we have on the tour, New England Dragway, which uh, I'm super excited to be going back to. And this event will be broadcast not just on FS1. It will be broadcast on your local Fox affiliate, the Fox Broadcast Network. So that is really cool for all of us um, to have our our fair are fairly cool I mean, very cool uh interesting character filled racetrack shown and showcased on national television live so ain't no shame in the tape game we're playing that this weekend we're following the nascar race at coda we'll be on at 6 p.m from texas but i will tell you from the perspective of doing my job and even from watching the race there is nothing more fun nothing more intense Nothing more on the edge of your seat than being live, and that's what we'll be at Epping, live on the Fox Broadcast Network. You'll watch on your local Fox affiliate, same place you watch NFL games, so it's going to be fantastic. So it's time for our first guest here in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. He scored a huge victory at the Charlotte Four Wide Nationals in a pro stock motorcycle. His name is Steve Johnson. Steve, how you doing, man? Fantastic, Seth. I don't even need Starbucks this morning. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you don't need it. I'm not sure you've come down off a of cloud nine since this weekend, but man, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the course of the weekend because we really have finally seen the the teeth that your bike has, and maybe even just the beginning stages of it. You make the quickest Suzuki run of all time, and of course, close the deal on Sunday. So let's just kind of walk me through the weekend in terms of your performance, both uh, in qualifying and eliminations. I want to walk you through Las Vegas because. Everybody knows in drag racing, it doesn't just, you know, you don't just crack the egg and, and out comes the chicken. Correct. You know, I, I don't even know if that's right, but it's like, you know, you don't just start eating right away. So in, in Vegas, we, we had a good running bike and we had just the most, it, we didn't even have a part failure. Uh, we didn't even have a, a driver failure. We had the craziest failure that you've ever seen that, that it's just embarrassing as heck. So um, anyway, uh, that was in the final. So yeah. then we went to we went to Atlanta, which was the next race. And Atlanta, uh, we had a problem with the throttle cable, and then and then the computer got shut off, so we had no data. And as we all know, it was only two qualifying runs, and then the second run, the trans, the trans, I had a little problem with the with my trans, and then uh, and then in the in, in eliminations, um, it didn't shift into into third gear. So. Uh, and we, you know, we, we thought we had a really fast bike then. So then we came here and made the first run soft. Uh, what I felt like, cause that's what all the, all the pro stock car guys, you know, they, they I hear them all talking about just get down the track, you know, you know, make it, make, make your run. And then, uh, and then we leaned on it and we, we it missed a little bit on the first run too. So we fixed okay. the miss and, and, uh, man, it, it clicked off that 73 <laughs> And I got to the finish line, and um, and I'm not crying, okay? I'm not complaining. So all you haters that, that, that might be there or not be there, all the Matt Smith fans, I'm telling you, I'm not a hater. But I'm telling you, usually when anybody goes fast, I say, as mad as I may be, hey, good job, good job. That's a rock, you know, rocket ship fast, really good, blah, blah, blah. When Angie went 200, I was like, hey, congratulations, you know. But I went, I just, we went at 73. It's the, you know, quickest blah, blah, blah. No, nobody said nothing. Nobody, it was like crickets down there. <laughs> and if, if you all look, if you all look and, and, and realize that, that you just went through the fastest roller coaster in the world and you're on TV or if you just won a million dollars and nobody's looking around, you'd look back at the check and you'd say, does it really say a million dollars? Does nobody care about it? <laughs> 
So I look back at the time slip like, wait a minute, maybe it's not a, maybe it's a 773 or maybe it's not my time or something. But, you know, I, Jock's rolled up and he's happier in hell. And I said, uh, you know, to hell with them all. I'm out of here. And so we all, we went back and we had our own crew. You're not supposed to be there to make friends anyway. So we had friends, we brought our friends with us. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was a, a moment that, as you said, I mean, it flew it flew too far under the radar for, I think, a lot of us. Obviously not for you guys, and I'm sure not for the competition, because even though nobody patted you on the back and said, great job down there at the top end, it wasn't like the Matt Smiths of the world, the Kravicks of the world, the Heinzes of the world didn't see that number and go, oh, they all knew what it meant, and that meant it set you up for a very good day on Sunday as well. And, you know, you mentioned there was – the Vegas race in Atlanta, these, these kind of little bugs that jumped up and got you, um, were not present on Sunday. You were, you were there as a rider. I mean, crushing the tree, you were double Oh one, one round, and then just clearly had a, had great performance as well. So was there any point of that Sunday where you thought waiting for the the other shoe to drop, so to speak, because those last two races had been frustration for you? That's, that's a great question. And I'll tell you what I was talking about before they were, in all fairness, it's not like the media or, or NHRA was asleep at the wheel. I mean, these people are clicking off 202s, 203s, 201s, like like cotton candy. And we're out there with our rowboat trying to get some mile an hour. And it's like, gosh, darn. But it, 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 did, it did fuel me. It did fuel me. It's like, you know what? I don't need to be happy. Uh, I, I don't need my enthusiasm to be generated off of uh, other people's. Uh, you know, let the scoreboard do the talking and, and move on. But but you know kind of back to where you're at i had this deal where where a, a longtime friend of mine uh who's really motivated me to, to to try to buckle down is is jeff perella they called him the pizza man he raced comp sure and he was at the race and he he's a he's um a, a seasoned guy so he's being real careful with COVID and stuff so he got his vaccination and he came out there and he's uh, just like keeping me nose to the grindstone and and uh um, with his, with him being there and us running good, Jock, uh, Jock reformulated, uh, my, 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 my lead technician, Jock, um, he reformulated the, the strategy in, in, uh, their between round maintenance and mostly him and, uh, Chris Dalton, who, uh, has a machine shop, a superior superior, uh, uh, machine and pattern in, in Talladega they worked they were their our main our 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 lead uh crew guys along with glenn and and they really uh they really did everything and we were i even laid down on the floor in my 22 foot trailer and took a nap in between uh the the, before the second round so um it it, to answer your question in this long-winded story we i really really felt confident i i wasn't cocky but i'm like our our bike is fast and i'm i'm excited as hell because it's not been like this before but but as long as i do my job then nobody can affect what what outcome we have as right. performance yeah no that's it's a great point and and the fact that you know the fact that you know it, it is such a, a multifaceted thing and i want to get into some of this in, in a few minutes but to to kind of talk to keep it kind of keyed in on sunday at this point you know how many years has it been if ever that you felt comfortable enough outside of just being completely exhausted to actually lay down and close your eyes and, and make sure you're as sharp as you can be for the rest of a race day. I mean, that, I don't, I don't foresee that as being something that's happened in recent history. No. Oh my gosh. No. You know, we, we, you know, um, I, I, I want to make sure that everybody, you know, I'm as serious as, as, as I think I can be, I'm sure I can be a little bit more, but you know, we have not sold our tractor trailer. We still have our tractor trailer. It's just, with Jock and I and, and the economics, you know, MacRack helps and, you know, all our, all our sponsors at Tony Toll and, and Bob Button and especially Kenny and Robin Brady, you know, all these, all these people that, that help us, we still have all our stuff. But if we spend more time on our trailer <laughs> yeah. and, and, and repairing tires and things like that, it's less time working on, on engines. So the, the more, the smaller our equipment, um, it gives us more time to work on that stuff. So it's, it's, it's really, um, you know, to, it just really helps. It gives you the confidence. And when you have the confidence and you've prepared, I think Warren Johnson and Glidden were always saying, you know, um, you know, you win the race by preparing at, at the shop. And so, uh, 
preparing at the shop gives me the ability to lay down on the floor and uh, roll up my jacket as a pillow. I, I think if I get smart, I might bring a little mattress, but it's like, <laughs> um, you know, the short, the short answer to this story is, is, is no, we've never been able to do that. But the more that we work harder at the shop and prepare, uh, the, the more chance that I have to uh, be able to lay down. And I'll tell you, if I take a 15 minute, sh- 15 minute nap, I feel like a crazed rock star on uh, with four cups of Starbucks. I mean, I am ready. Well, and, and you're not the only one. And, and this is something that is not uncommon for for racers and other categories that have you know multi man crews working on their stuff. It's it is it is not uncommon for for drivers, highly successful ones, to get. 20 minutes to themselves over the course of a day or a half hour at some point later in the rounds of elimination to to literally get away from everybody and clear their mind and if it means closing your eyes for a few minutes it does but the the level of sharpness that you need to maintain to actually succeed out here does require that type of I guess mental acuity and, and there are people that don't need it and there are people that don't want it everybody's their own person but I think for people listening it, it may be one of those things that that they don't understand that that the ability to have that peace if only for 15 minutes, can be the difference between you being decent or being great when it comes to crunch time. Yeah, it, it, I think you're. I, I didn't. I actually didn't know that. I I, uh, I, I get a lot of coaching. I have a, a my little advisory uh, team that, that's that's out there, and and uh, you know I got to be a fly on the wall <laughs> as soon as I was losing first round in the, in the old days. You know, I'd hang out with Larry Dixon, and and I'd see. You know, he was, he was pretty, uh, he was, he was, you know, in my eyes, he was the best and, and, uh, you know, I, I'd watch him and then we, we would chat and things like that. So, um, you, you're actually making me feel uh, like this. I need to have this on my checklist. You know, maybe, maybe I need to have that because I, I just know how I am at the shop. I stay at the shop all hours of the night. I'll go to bed finally at four after all the TV shows are on in the background. I know where I am, uh, with my time and, I'll wake up at se- I'll set my my phone at seven and I'll be back up and and I'm hitting it. But but when you're you're euphoric and you're excited and your endorphins are are on the moon, um, sleep is definitely something you need and it probably makes you sharp. But gosh darn it, it sometimes you're so just so excited you just don't want to sleep. You know you mentioned something that you and I had actually texted about a week or two ago, maybe a little bit further back than that. You tell you told me about the schedule you were maintaining um and it was for lack of a literally zero exaggeration you were living at your race shop you said i don't have really other than feeding the cat making sure i I swing by the house but you had effectively turned into a monk man you were living in that thing like it was the you know monastery or something yeah that's that's you know and i know a lot like i said a lot lot of people i hear all these stories about glidden and you know, I've been at Chris McGahey's and 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 seen the the work ethic that they have in the team, but and and you know, I go back to where what I really know is Vance and Hines. Those guys are such studs. They are, but there's so many of them. It's like yeah. it's like when we raced in Japan, they didn't have it. The, the drag strip folks. We went to Japan and we're thinking it's going to be the the echelon of all motorsports. And this is back in the late '90s and stuff. And it's like early '90s, and it's like we get there and the drag strip's not even finished. It's a mess, and the and the and the starting line is broom finished, and it's like, are you kidding me? And and we had two days, and they just brought out a million ants, and the ants were grinding the starting line with little four-inch Makita sanders, and they're grinding it literally flat. They're pouring concrete. I mean, they were everywhere, and that's the to me that's the Vance and Hines team. There's just so many of them that they work eight hours a day that they get so much done. They have a lot of motorcycles. But man, they 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 have resources, and and that's what I think uh, in motorsports is what you need to be successful is you need to have resources. Yeah, there are two two things I want to talk about here. The first is the fact that um, you mentioned it. I, I made a, a specific point to talk about it. I believe in the semifinals about the fact that you're using the monster cylinder head on your motorcycle. It is it is a, a, a four valve head that is legal that is out there. Um, you are definitely on the vanguard of the performance end of it, and. I think it is so incredibly important that this is part of our story today because you know drag racing to me as a as a sport and as a really as a as a business we need the industry to support this thing that we do and when you only have say one manufacturer that's making something it really doesn't behoove any of us so the fact that there is a competitive four valve cylinder head the fact that it is now a proven race winning cylinder head is very very good not just for you but really for the entire industry 
Oh, that's it's a great point, and I love to do it. Be, I love to talk about it because it's it's um it, it for me it it opens up. Hey, when when Larry and I were were kids, you know, we went to well when we were kids, we we had whatever dreams, and I I watched Wide World of Sports, and he, and he was on it with his dad, you know, and and then you 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 rotate the the clock forward, and then we're we're in high school and we're street racing and. Uh, uh, you know, Beckman and, and Jack, uh, uh, Karen Stouffer, and lots of us grew up in, in, in Los Angeles, San Fernando Valley. And, and, uh, you know, I don't think any of them necessarily participated, but Larry and I were a little head over heels and got involved in the street. And then somebody got killed and we discovered the, the drag strip, you know, and, and, uh, from a, prof- from a safety standpoint, and then it, it turned into a career, but, uh, the the industry in a whole to be able to engage people and say you can go and order a monster cylinder head you can order a set of pro stock cams from 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 webcam you can order an msd from uh, you know the the new the new msd holly group you can order these these carburetors i mean we not even we don't even have fuel, we don't even have fuel injection you know and and not that that stuff's not important and and uh, you know it needs support but it's confusing and you need a lot of people you need a lot of tech you need some support you need uh, some education and and jock and i just do whatever we can every single day to to support that and we have a package that anybody can go out and buy these pistons they can go out get the block um you know paul gas board and hone and uh, even Chris, Chris McGay, he's, he's, he does uh, honing and stuff. So it's like, there's, there's all kinds of resources that we have. Having said that we still have a Vance and Hines crankshaft. They make a, just an, an awesome, awesome crankshaft. And they make a lot of parts for a Suzuki engine that, um, that we still use, but the top end and the cylinder head, the, the, the core of the, the core of the engine is a webcams and a monster cylinder head and electron carburetor. Yeah, and and honestly, it's it's something that we've seen in the top fuel category, especially with the Torrance team. That you know they don't own a CNC farm. They they are as you do. They have gone and selected the components that other specialists and and manufacturing companies are are making, and they have made their recipe and that recipe has brought them you know world championships your recipe has now brought you um an incredibly quick bike that has now proven itself in the winter circle we did, we knew it was fast last couple of races it just you know one thing or the other got in the way so it's really important i think for people at home that that have this idea that maybe they want to go pro stock motorcycle racing that it does not require you to invest in you know a nasa level uh machining <laughs> operation yeah, and 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 but by and you know I'll I'll say APE they they make a, a, some valve train parts for it so you know and and it's fun to go to these people because I'm I <laughs> you guys are all gonna roll your eyes at this but Steve and Jock are designing a few parts and we we got engineering drawings and I'm like wow are these things cool that's great <laughs> and and I'm like I'm moving this over here and I'm moving this down here and I'm adding 20,000 to this and I'm asking it so it's like it's really exciting to do it I say that because it you know Larry Dixon has balance lots of people have families and they have balance you know I have zero balance I go I, I like we talked about I'm staying at the shop all the time and and it's just the the position that I'm in, it's my choice. You know, I need to do it because of my resources. My, my, uh, Sean and Pam encouraged me to do this stuff. Uh, my buddy, Tony, they, they all love it. You know, I think it's a, a second, uh, hidden secret for them, but man, it's, it sometimes is cheaper to rent a motorcycle. And, and there's a lot of people out there that rent motorcycles. We're probably going to do it to try to raise some money. I know we're going to try to even do some engines and, and, and for, for people, um, if it, it, not necessarily pro stock, but maybe if they want them, I feel like I have a little recipe and I want to try to do a little thing right now, but sometimes it's, it's way more economical to put your foot in the water and just, to, uh, rent one or like Joey, Joey Gladstone and Corey Reed, I guess they bought their motorcycles, brand new turnkey for 150 grand. Believe it or not, you don't need a shop, a truck, a trailer. You don't need anything. You just, boom, you get that. You can put your bike in a, in somebody else's trailer and go racing. So 
it's definitely expensive doing it the way we're doing it, but there are some things that you can control the cost at. And when a sponsor doesn't want you to buy uh, engines from the competition, this is the only way to do it. You know, one of the things I think so interesting about you, Stephen, it's something that you definitely do not get enough credit for, in my opinion. And, and I, I, not that my opinion is fact, but I think a lot of people would agree with me, is that the amount your work ethic is unbelievable and it's it's funny to me because almost in the in the in the way that you you maintain a great message of positivity and how you race and, and how you conduct yourself and and your messaging and your program and and in a weird way in a weird way i think it overshadows how hard you work and i'm not saying that to be negative i'm just saying it as an observation where when we hear other racers who who are brooding about things or who are yelling and crying about things and telling us how hard they work um, it seems to it seems to carry some more impact. Like, oh, that guy, you wouldn't believe how hard that guy works. But I'm going to say right now in this conversation, I'm not just saying it because I'm talking to you here. I've said it to other people over the course of the weekend. Pound for pound, I'm not sure there is a single person that is more hardcore invested in this than you are. So talk to me a little bit about that because there are two sides to, to, to Steve Johnson that I'm talking to here. There's the guy we're having this conversation with, but there is this guy who has almost a maniacal work ethic. Where, where does that all stem from? Well, I, I just, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, go to know Bob Glidden and <laughs> I went to his shop and got to go through the shop and, you know, I, he'd golf and, and uh, you know, he, I always tell everybody, you know, and I'll even ask you, I'll, I'll, along his wall, you know, his wall was 40 feet long in this one area. What was leaning against the wall all the way, a whole bunch of one thing all the way down his wall? What do you think it was? I, I had not the slightest clue. Honest to God, no idea. Golf aids. <laughs> really? He had every golf aid. He'd stay up late and he'd buy every golf aid on the planet. And he says, "But you, you can't just buy it. You got to work it. You got to learn it. You got to understand it. You got to, you got to follow it." Blah 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 blah. And then I'm like, "Well, what does that have to do with racing?" And then he told me this long story about racing. So I learned a little bit from from uh, from Bob Glidden. I learned a little bit from from a lot of people. I know uh, I know George Bryce. Uh, their work ethic to, you know, he was, he was hooked up into intravenously trying to, <laughs> trying to run his shop in America to try to keep up with Vance and Hines. And, you know, they were successful. I know, um, uh, I, I've, I've seen, you know, luckily been in Roger Penske's place and, and, and know some of the people over there, but my deal, you know, I, I have so much respect and that's how we learn. We learn from mentors. We learn from, from um, our, our advisory committees and stuff, and um, you know, I don't have a wife. I, I uh, or kids. Um, Larry Dixon. I'm I'm god godfather to, to Larry's youngest, and kind of a, a adopted step godfather to, to Alana and and Luke and and, and DJ's the, the first. But it's like I'm really close to that family. So um, that's and I go see my mom on her 90th birthday and Mother's Day. But it's like. Uh, man, the rest of the time I'm all in, you know, my dream was I drove up and down the rows in, in, uh, in Pomona, looking at all the tractor trailers, just wishing one day I could have a tractor trailer from my, my box van, you know? So every penny I get, you know, and, and stuff that I don't even have, I leverage towards buying pistons and cranks. And, and after 2019, when the engine blew up and I had to miss my first race, you know, people are like, you didn't win in 17 years. You hadn't won a race. Do you think you should change your career path? And I'm like, it's going to happen, man. I'm going to catch John Force, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to win all these races. So it's the work ethic to answer your, your question. It's I, I, uh, I love what I do. I've been very, very fortunate. Um, Dale Earnhardt taught me really good about die cast. Um, I learned some information from, uh, the superstars in our sport, uh, even Don Perdome and, you know, so, uh, I, I've been fortunate. So, um, but, but you, you, if you learn stuff and you don't retain it, uh, you have no chance to apply it. And, and I'm, I'm trying my best to apply it and, 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 and their results are showing up every once in a while. So now like to apply this kind of grand question of psychology to the, the current moment, um, you knew you could win. You knew you had a bike that could win. I think a lot of people know they can win, but don't. We only have one of those on Sundays. Now you have. So uh, obviously the Pro Stock Motorcycle category not contested this coming weekend in Houston, but you'll be back at it soon enough. So 
what is the takeaway from winning the race now? Because is it, is it, I, and I'm always curious about this because now when you know you can do something, it's, it's no longer wanting to do it. It's needing to keep doing it. Right. And how does that change? Well, it doesn't change. And, and for, for start, I'm so into drag racing and I learned from being there. I always said Rusty Glidden had never driven a car. He got in the car the first time, popped the clutch and he drove, he drove the wheels off. And yeah. I'm like, damn, I'm like, he's obviously driven a race car, but you know, the first time he got in a pro stock car, he drove it perfect. And it's like, he's hanging around there. I, I learned from hanging around these guys. I'm going to go to Houston this weekend. Uh, mostly because, you know, I want to, <laughs> I want to share my trophy and the fact that we're not racing, I get to, I get to dwell on, I get to dwell on the fact that we won some more, you know, but it is, it it's, I'm proud. I'm, I'm, you know, it's corny as heck, but I mean, I, we just did TV locally, you know, and, uh, and we're going to do more of it, but you know, it's trying to get back to answering your question again. It's like, we have we're not even home we're, we're we we only were eight hours away from charlotte we're still in charlotte as secret at a secret shop and we're getting some special parts made for our motorcycle because we we know that matt smith is not going to lay down for this stuff and and all of his team and his motorcycles and stuff and surely i mean the vance and i that you know if you're not the vance and Hines team you know i still it's still, you know, it's no disrespect, but they had a great relationship with the Harley Davidson. That's still the Harley Davidson team, you know, and Absolutely. No, it's not still the Harley Davidson team. It was the Harley Davidson team. So if you don't know if the Vance nines is not synonymous with your brain, it was the Harley Davidson. So uh, these people, they, they are not in business because they, they come second and they lose races They're So I know that Jock and I still have to, um, keep the pedal to the metal. And, you know, I've always said if I could win a championship, I'd go get married and have a white picket fence and I could go on with the rest of my life. But gosh, darn, I, I, uh, it was so exciting in those semis. I looked over and saw Matt Smith with the freight train. And then I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's two other bikes over there and they're black and they're badass. <laughs> it's like, it's like getting by that round was Jock was more excited about getting by that round than I think I've seen him about anything. He says, "Do you realize who we just got around?" And yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's uh, that's and 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 Matt, you know, we I had a little problem in the in the semis and we we addressed that and uh, man, it really showed up in the final. Yeah, no, it was spectacular, and and that that moment where you where you have to look down the line and say, okay, like this that semifinal moment of of validating everything we've done here, and this is how we have to do it because there's not a uh, there's not a there's not a weak sister in the bunch. No one's going to trip over their shoelaces. You have to stand up there and beat them, and and you did, and then uh, ultimately finishing the job in the final round. I will tell you that it was uh, it was a great roar from the crowd when you pulled it off, man. That the 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 fans at Charlotte are very passionate about our sport, and uh, they definitely greeted you uh, in a strong way when you when you turned the wind light on. So, Steve, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, congratulations on the victory. Congratulations on the, the fruition uh, or your hard work really bearing fruit here, and I can't wait to see that thing back on the racetrack in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it, 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 it'll be exciting to see. I, I, I really wanted to cover a lot of other topics, but Jock kept, ta- Jock kept talking the whole time. So <laughs> he's, he's really kind of quiet, but he does want to say that he's, he's very, very grateful. Uh, in our little world, you know, everybody saw this, the thing when Dale Earnhardt won the, the Daytona 500, and all the crew came out and met him. Uh, you know, we don't have uh, Dale Earnhardt. We've, we've got John Forrest, but to me, right now, it's it's Jock and uh, so many competitors. So many people told me that the, the starting line was flooded with everybody congratulating Jock. And, and that just warms the heck out of my heart. And I said in the press conference, it is, is unprofe- as unpolitical as it, it can be, I'm proud as hell of those U.S. Nationals trophies. But right now, where I am in my life and dealing with COVID and what he went through in our society, this and and what we're doing with our engines versus what we used to do um this this is the most precious trophy that 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 we have so um i'm uh i'm grateful that the sanctioned body especially camping world is uh all we're all on one page i'm excited to go to norwalk and and uh hopefully i'll i'll get a chance to see you in um in, in houston this weekend sounds good to me steve congratulations congratulations to jock and uh keep up the good work it's um 
This class, Pro Stock Motorcycle, continues to be just so incredibly exciting with uh, the multiple engine combinations and the fact that these multiple engine combinations are all playing uh, in such a tight sandbox right now that it's anybody's game. So, Steve Johnson, congratulations, and thanks for taking the time. Thanks, man. All right, so our second guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, following up on the conversation we had with Steve Johnson, is our Pro Stock winner from the Four Wide Nationals in Charlotte. Hoisting a Pro Stock Wally for the first time was Dallas Glenn, and appropriately, he is sitting behind the wheel of a tractor trailer right now. Dallas, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, just cruising down the road. I was going to say, you're wheeling, you're wheeling the car on Sunday, you're wheeling the truck here on a, uh, on a Wednesday morning heading to Texas. So have you, uh, has your head stopped spinning yet or what? No, not yet. It, uh, I haven't really even gotten a chance to catch my breath at all, basically. It was immediately following the race, we just went right into testing on Monday and then just run back to the shop for a quick cleanup and service and then back on the road. I feel like in some ways that may be a good thing for you, right? I mean, it, when you have – because you're going to have a couple weeks to decompress after we get done in Texas, but I'm guessing, at least maybe from my own personal view, it would be cool to kind of get in this mode that you've been in since Charlotte and be able to hang with it for a couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely. I just you know want to kind of stay in this in this kind of moment and, and keep the momentum going and see if we can continue it in Texas. So let's talk a little bit about the Charlotte weekend before we get into some some other topics. Um, you know, obviously KB Racing has looked very strong this year from Greg, really across the entire customer base of, of cars that are running KB Power, yours included. Um, talk about feelings kind of coming out of qualifying and how familiar are you with that racetrack? Because you guys probably spend more time there than anybody else on the tour in terms of testing and stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, we haven't done a whole lot of testing there recently just because of, you know, COVID and everything that we just haven't done a whole lot of testing recently. But as far as in the in the past years, we have a lot of runs there. So they have a lot of notes to go back and, and kind of the general idea of what to do at that racetrack. But, you know, in the, in the previous few races, I felt like that we were we would kind of hit it here and there, but we were just struggling a little bit with my car. You know, Greg's is in a really happy window right now where it's, it's almost difficult to make a bad run in it. You know, you can miss it a little bit and it, and it doesn't bite you, but it's, it's real difficult to get each car in, into that kind of happy zone. And I just felt like we were been struggling with mine for the past few races. So we made some, some pretty major changes to the car before the weekend. And, you know, I knew it was going to take a few runs to, to kind of, adjust to the changes that we made even though they're we know which direction that they're in and we just you know missing the second qualifying run i was i was a little bit nervous about it and you know we made that third qualifying run and it it wasn't that you know wasn't the greatest run as far as you know like et wise or anything but i was looking at the grass and i'm like man this thing like it's it's right on just one or two little things and it's gonna fly and 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 uh, it certainly showed that on sunday it really did. It was um, an impressive performance by, by you and the entire team, really. And it was a very fun thing to see. For maybe, And this is something that may only happen once in the, in the span of my career, certainly may only happen and can now only happen once in the span of yours. But to see four cars on a starting line at a drag race and none of the drivers had ever won a Pro Stock National event before was pretty special. Yeah, I think it definitely shows the, the strength and in, in depth of our class right now. I mean, we're driving to Houston where there's going to be 21 cars trying to qualify. I mean, it's, that's not, that's normally in the last few years, that's you would only see that at like Indy. Correct. So yeah, uh, no. it just it, it shows really the, the depth of the, the quality of cars that are racing right now. It does, and and I know that that you and, and every other professional level driver really does mentally lock down when you're when you're in a situation you're late in the rounds. Uh, you've won you've won events uh, like you've won major league bracket race events before. I know you've been an IHRA uh, like bracket finals winner. You've won NHRA national events and in, in sportsman categories before. But rolling into the lanes for this one, especially rolling up to the starting line, was it? even a thought in your mind in terms of, Hey, none of these other guys have won one of these things before either. I mean, was there any solace in that? Uh, knowing- not really. No. <laughs> not, not really I, you know, Mason has been absolutely drilling the, the tree this whole year. And, and same with Aaron Stanfield as well. Cause I mean, you know, and, and I know he's been, he's been right behind Greg pretty much every qualifying run. He's had a very fast car and he's been very good on the tree. Um, and at least that was second round. So it was like going into the final, I know that everybody there 
has extremely good quality equipment. They're all very good drivers. They're very talented. You can't count any of them out. And I just felt like I had the car to beat, so I just kind of tried to do everything in my own my own way, my own lane, and hit all my all my points, and and hopefully it was enough to come out on top. Yeah, I mean it, uh, and it and it was. And I think one of the things that I I find entertaining in watching you drive one of the things that I like keying in on is that you're an aggressive guy in the starting line and and I I admire people that are aggressive on a starting line I've never I've never seen you be tardy to speak of I have seen you turn a red light on once or twice but I I feel like in this game that's okay and I want to talk a little bit about that because it has that always kind of been your philosophy as a as a bracket racer and as a sportsman racer because you do strike me as one of the more attack level drivers on the starting line in pro stock yeah I feel like you know as, as, as a driver it's my job to give it everything that I can up there. And, and if, and if I go up there and I leave the door open, all that's going to do is just leave a chance for somebody to, to sneak in there. So as, as I can just stay as best as I possibly can, you know, then it just keeps you just shuts the door on, on everybody. And that is my goal as, as a driver to do the absolute best I can. And it's, I, I've always kind of thought about it in the terms of pro stock is, is how fast, I mean, uh, how much money would you pay to, to pick up two or three hundreds? Because <laughs> right. most, right. I mean, most of the time you have that for free with, with your clutch foot. So if, if you can try to stay in that kind of teen range where Mason's been sitting, it's, it's pretty much all you're doing is just shutting the door and making it difficult for everybody. And if anybody makes a mistake, they're going to, you're just going to sneak right in there. And, and you, you mentioned Mason and, and he is one of the people, and I put you in this group as well, that has, in my in my mind, really pushed everybody in this class a little bit harder than they have been. We know how Erica, how great Erica is. She's been a proven commodity now for years. She delivers in pressure situations. She delivers really almost every single time in, in ways that maybe we haven't seen anybody do over the course of history. But she was not necessarily a singular entity, but now when we look around, it's not just Erica. It's Mason. It's you. The Quadra guys can all, all three of them, whether we're talking about the old man or the kids, all three of them can shoot the bulbs out of the tree as well. And I feel like it is, it does move the class ahead in terms of the, let's say, expectations of what a driver needs to do. And and it's a cool thing, man. I think it's a cool thing to be on your side of it rather than somebody that's trying to get themselves back into shape. You're one of the people actually pushing this thing forward. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it's kind of always just been especially in the bracket racing side, you know, I've always felt that there's two ends to a racetrack and, and you, you, you need one, uh, especially that's, a, that's a whole, basically start the whole thing going is if you don't start well, then chances are you're, you're not going to finish well. So, yeah, there's, and obviously the, the bracket racing world is, is such a great educational place for people to, to hone those skills that you're talking about. And, you know, we look at the, the field of competitors in pro stock these days and, and pretty much everybody with a few notable exceptions, Greg being one of them have, have pretty diversified and active sportsman drag racing backgrounds, which I, I really think is cool because, you know, maybe for you, definitely for me, when I was a kid and I was watching great sportsman racers kind of climb the ranks, you always expected the people that succeeded in sportsman racing to want to land in pro stock that was always for so many years that was kind of the path and you've obviously chosen to follow that path not everybody has so i want to i want to double back on why is it pro stock for you why is it not an a fuel car why is it not a funny car um i feel like pro stock is more of a a technical kind of real in-depth detail kind of or detail oriented class and that's kind of where I where I love to be. I'm, uh, you know, I worked as uh, in an engine machine shop for several years before I got the job on with KB Racing. So it's just kind of trying to get the absolute most out of every little detail on the car is just something that just really gets me going. I just I absolutely love that part of the class and and has made and, and how difficult it is to get one of these cars to i mean not only from a driving standpoint but just from a tuning standpoint is there's so much stuff that you can do to one of these things and trying to get it to work just right there's there's so many different ways to do it and trying to find one that's just a little better than the other is uh is just a, a it's an incredible challenge 
you said something at the top end after you won the race, uh, Jamie Howard, during your interview, and and you mentioned that, uh, to paraphrase your words, that it was harder than you thought. The driving element, you said, was was harder than you thought it would be. And talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, like going up there and driving one of these, you know, it. I guess it wasn't as difficult as I thought, but trying to do it well and exactly the same every time yeah. was harder than I thought. You know, trying. It's, you know, I've listened to I mean, thousands of runs with Jason. I've listened to in cars for years and just, you know, I was, I was shocked at, at how difficult it is to really try to get every single shift, you know, 10-5 or better, you know, just like right at 10-5. And, you know, if you just go and tap the chip in one, it can screw up the whole, your whole rhythm for like three other shifts. You just one little thing, you know, as you go tap the chip in one, the next thing you, you'll be early on the next two. And, and it's not only it's stuff like that, but it's just staging at the exact same RPM while you're rolling into stage is, is just, it's every little detail makes a difference. Yeah, it is. Like you said, it's, it's literally these, these minute things, things that are so small that, that most people would never even consider them. And there you go. It could, it can actually make, kind of make you sink yeah. or you swim. One of the things that, that strikes me as interesting about you and, and your approach and, and your attitude is that you, you share something with other people that have succeeded in pro stock. And I'm not putting you in the, I'm not putting you in WJ and Bob Glidden's league yet. Uh, we can talk about that at the end of your career, but what I am going to say is that both of those guys, including and Jason and Greg, this goes along with them and Jeg as well. You share with them this this type of confidence. Where when we were interviewing you, interviewing you at the top end, you weren't standing there staring at the wally in disbelief that you were holding it. You firmly believed that you should have won that race, and you firmly believed in your ability to do so. And I want to talk a little bit about that. Where does that come from? Because it's not cockiness. It really isn't. It is It is a confidence that not that many people have, and all the great people that have been in this class have had it, and you certainly seem to embody it. Yeah, I guess that part of that comes from just just growing up in a, in a racing, a very competitive racing family with two brothers we were competitive at everything. I mean, it didn't matter if it was video games or, you know, playing baseball in the front yard or whatever it was, we were competitive at everything. And growing up in a, in a racing family and anytime that we, you know, anytime we were going to go to the track, we had full contentions of, of leaving, you know, with, with the check. And if we didn't feel like we could do it, then it then we would not go and, and work on something until we we felt like we could i mean that was just kind of part of it growing up i mean you know you obviously you you do it because you enjoy it and you want to have fun and it's and it's you know an absolute blast to go out there and, and spend time with your family and friends racing but at the end of the day we were you know when we were going to the track we were going to win and i guess that's just kind of something that's that's stuck with me i mean you, you know you, you we do this and Throughout the years, I've you know I've driven a lot of different cars, and I've had um, some success, you know, a lot of success. And I guess it's just I know inside of me that I have that ability. It's just being able to to grab all to grab it and and let it show. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I mean, I I firmly believe, and this just isn't just pertaining to pro stock. It pertains to me and every one of our camping real professional categories that. Uh, on a given on any Sunday we show up at the racetrack any Friday or Saturday for that matter as well it is pretty clear to see kind of who's showing up with what I would call a professional level mentality to compete and win and there there are other people there and I'm not going to name names or defame anybody but there are other people there that are there because they love being at the racetrack and they love having fun and they love racing and they love going fast but there is a very big difference between the mentality that you've just described Versus somebody who's like, yeah, man, I can't wait to go out there and do a couple burnouts and see what happens on Sunday morning. Yeah, I've, uh, I mean, I work with with equipment that I uh, felt like I was at a disadvantage with, but I never felt like I, I could not do it. And um, I've gone out, I've I've parked the car at home before because I I felt like that it just wasn't. You know, it wasn't in the cards. Like, you know, even if I had the absolute best race, I, I didn't feel like I was giving myself a fair chance. 
and I'll still go out to the track and have fun and, and support other people who who do have a chance. But I mean, uh, we, without the the people that come out to the track to have fun and enjoy it, I don't think it would be the same the same experience out there for everybody. So you you have to have everybody here. No, absolutely. And and I want to see. I want twenty two. I want twenty five cars at every single race. And I just yes. feel like. Um, I just feel like it's an interesting thing for me to watch and especially to kind of hear you articulate your approach and your history and, and kind of how you view what you're doing out here and, and how, you know, how seriously you take it. And that, and that's a, that's to your credit. Um, what has been, what has been the most satisfying part of this? And granted, we've talked about how much of a whirlwind it's been really just a few days since you won, but in, in those quiet moments, you've had a few of them, what's kind of struck you as something that um that you're going to keep with you really until until you're done drag racing um i guess like the, this whole experience of after the fact is is something that uh i'm, I'm kind of t- just kind of taking in you know like i've you know we've been in wonder circles with jason and greg and everything but to have one where it's i won't say it's about me but it is. It, you know, it's, <laughs> I'll it, say it. Kinda, it, it, it is. Was, I mean, and, and it's kind of interesting. It was what, what I thought about is like I've, I haven't really done too many things before. Uh, you know, a few years ago, where everything was, you know, the whole reason we were there was because of me. You know, I've always been supporting somebody else. Um, you know, other than you know going and doing my own racing, but that was just pretty much just me going out and, and enjoying and doing my own racing. But I thought I was I was all thinking a little bit about too. It was like um, my wedding with Sadie. It was I was thinking of it before that was kind of what I was thinking at the winter circle. There, it was like everybody here is here because of me. Yeah, and, and it's just it's <laughs> kind of just it's a different feeling that I, that I uh, that I was never experiencing before. No, it's great. Um, what yeah. did when Jason was looking at your time slip at the top end? We had a shot of that. You guys are standing down there, and he had a. I mean, he had a smile a mile wide. It was. It was like it was. In some way, it was like he's your uncle, and he was just so proud of you. And I, I'm I'm wondering what he said or what the conversation was, the back and forth when he was reading the time slip. Yeah. Well, I mean, me once once going back to the competitiveness. You know, he comes down. You know, you give a high five and everything, and and I'm telling him like. The first thing I told him is that he goes, man, I was later than I thought, and I hit the chip in second a little bit. I just tapped it. You know, I, it's every run I make, all I can think about is all the little things that I could do a little <laughs> bit better. But you know, it was you know he's, I mean, he's got a big smile. We were all smiling, we're all cheering, and, and, and he's like, he, you know, he looks at me and he's like, about time. He goes, I knew you could do it. That's awesome. <laughs> and you know, it was kind of one of those you know, like, well, we didn't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic and that's a very jason that's a very jason mentality and it has served him yeah. very well over the course of his life both inside a pro stock car and, yeah. and working on them how much more satisfying or and really this is kind of an odd question because i don't there's no other way you can really answer it but the fact that you know these cars from end to end top to bottom side to side that you have laid underneath them and bled over them and cried over them and, and swore at them and everything else how much does that add to the the kind of feeling of this win because it is it's not just as if you're someone who's pretty good at letting go of the clutch i mean you you know these cars so talk to me a little bit about understanding really having an understanding of the accomplishment right Uh, i mean i i feel like it it definitely adds a a great in-depth to the experience of of driving it is knowing is not only do i i kind of know of everything that's going on inside the car but it's like i've you know, I worked on it before that run too. I'm doing the clutch on my own car. I'm building the trannies. I, you know, I'm helping my dad um, on the back half. He's, he's he's a great back half guy for me. But it's there's anything at any time that goes wrong during a run. I like I know I have a real good pinpoint of what it could be or what's happening, what's going on, and and to be able to also work on my own car during the race and do the best job that I can and then get into it. And it's it's definitely it makes it just that much more satisfying. I, it's like the only thing is is I don't feel like I got the big kind of relief excitement hit right when I went to the finish line because of the whole timing system yes. debacle that, yes. that we had. So it was that was the only thing I missed, and that's one thing that I'm like 
dying to try to get for in uh, in Houston. I want to do it again so I can get that big relief right when you go to the finish line. Yeah, and that was going to be kind of uh, one of my last questions was, you know, you, we roll into Houston now. You literally are rolling to Houston as we speak on this uh, on this phone call. Um, this is a different, this is a little bit of a different scene for you now. You, you roll in, not like people didn't know you were capable. You have uh, continued to be one of the class leaders in reaction time, continue to be a guy who's making consistent runs, but... Now you've won, and not only have you won, you won basically five days before the first qualifying session, so it's going to be fresh in everybody's mind, and not to say everybody wasn't taking you seriously before, but uh, you've, in so to speak, grabbed another gear in that department. Yeah, I feel like um, going into this next race, I feel like I have a lot more confidence, and it's not necessarily because I, I won, but it's just because of how... Um, how great of a runs the, the car was making on Sunday. I feel like we're in a much better place with the car. And as like, I'm ready to go. I feel like we definitely have a, a top five qualifying capable car. Um, I didn't necessarily a hundred percent. I'd like, I knew it had the potential before, but now I feel like it's there. So I have a lot more confidence in, in the, in the car to uh, make real, real good runs. In terms of uh, your career working with KB Racing before getting into the seat, what was your favorite place to go racing then? And if I could ask what track you're most looking forward to running at this year? Um, honestly, being that it was my, my first season here, um, I was actually kind of really looking forward to going back to Seattle and comparing, being able to compare it to other tracks. But that one got pushed off until next year for, for COVID. So... Um, I've never really had uh, a favorite place to go necessarily. I've, I've always just loved going to all of them. There may be some I may like a little bit more than others, but I've never really had a top down. Like I love going here. Um, I'm definitely going to enjoy going to all these different, there's a lot of different tracks that I've never made a pass at before. And that's one thing that I'm uh, definitely going to, going to take in throughout this first year. I mean, like going to Norwalk and, maple grove at the end of the year and i get to go to epping this year and uh go make runs at, at both texas it's just all of the tracks have so much history behind them I, i'm really looking forward to being able to uh see what they're like on track that's great man and uh once again sincere congratulations to you and, and the entire team and to be able to do it working literally hand in hand with your own dad i mean this is the stuff that uh this is the stuff that you can't really you can't really even script any better you know i mean i can't even imagine the level of pride your pop had uh when you guys won that deal oh yeah he got back i mean he was he was speechless and to say that my dad was speechless is, is <laughs> it's uh it's definitely saying something he was uh he was very emotional and he's more emotional than i am i uh i was just trying to take it all in um but yeah no it's it's definitely good having my dad on the road he's actually I'm going to say about a thousand feet behind me right now on the other truck. So oh, wow. Okay, cool. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we, we travel down the road together and, uh, it's definitely good to be spending uh, all this time with him. And, uh, you can't ask for anything more than that. Nope. That's a, it's an absolute fact and certainly uh, very well put. And listen, as a, um, as a guy who's a, a big fan of this sport and of course, uh, kind of a, a paid spectator at the races, I am super excited to have you really inserting your name as uh, as a player this year. Not that we didn't expect it to happen, but to have it happen at this point in the season means that um, you've, you've raised the expectation level of your fellow competitors about how they're going to come and attack you at the starting line and you're going to bring the fight to them. So Dallas, congratulations, man. It's, um, it's the it's the the grand story of the overnight success that's been working on it for twenty years, and and I appreciate it, and it's just a, a really cool story. Oh, well, thank you, and uh, thank you for uh, allowing me to be on here. I, uh, I enjoy doing all of these. You bet. And actually, one last thing: so Rad Torque Systems, Silver State Heating and Cooling. Obviously, these companies have done amazing things for you so far this year. Um, I think we asked you at the race. Maybe we didn't. You, I think you said you're going to try to run as many as possible. Can you ballpark us? How many are you actually going to be able to run the poll, or are you going to be making some selected sitouts? What are you going to be doing for the rest of the year? Uh, Rad Torque has. Um stepped up and support is said they're going to support me for the whole season he told me to just keep on racing and Amazing. he's going to do whatever it takes so i mean you can't thank a, a guy like dan provost enough with rad torque systems 
And what a company I mean, that is too. I, I, and if you got, we got 30 seconds, you got a thousand miles yet to drive and, and this is the internet. So we can talk for as long as we want. I don't think people understand what rad torque systems do or what they are. So if you can give us an, an explanation, I am familiar with them only because I've looked them up over the course of the last few years when they started to get involved in ProMod and other categories, but this is a really cool company. Yeah, this is a really cool company that, that Dan started, uh, many years ago basically they make um, pneumatic battery and electric torque guns for torquing extreme stuff like uh, on windmills and mining equipment and stuff you can basically set the the gun to a certain torque pull the trigger it's got a reaction arm on it and it will torque it to that spec and i think something like that with that much accuracy is incredible especially something that can go to 15,000 pound foot of torque yeah i was going to say we're not talking about like small block chevy heads at 65 pound feet here we're talking thousands and thousands of uh, foot pounds of torque it's wild yeah that's that's definitely some manly stuff that they're working on there <laughs> <laughs> so now that uh, now we've gotten everybody familiarized with rad torque systems as well i will let you go down the highway and uh, make sure you keep the old man behind you like the rest of the competition you'll be fine <laughs> all right thank you Pretty awesome to catch up with Dallas Glenn, who was driving his pro stock car on Sunday and is literally driving the tractor trailer truck with his car and other KB racing equipment in the back of it to Houston, Texas this weekend. The NHRA Spring Nationals will be an adventure down there at Baytown, Texas at Houston Raceway Park, powered by Pennzoil. It is going to be a unpredictable weekend for the weather, an unpredictable weekend on the racetrack, and certainly one that we look forward to bringing you on FS1. You can tune in on Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern on FS1 to watch our elimination round coverage from the NHRA Spring Nationals. And um, who knows? We <laughs> it may be a live show. It's not planned to be a live show, but looking at the forecast, it may well will be a live show on Sunday afternoon. So get your popcorn, sit down with your favorite beverage, and tune in to watch what will be a fun second half of a back-to-back starting in Charlotte and ending down there in Houston. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks, as always, for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. Look forward to being back next week with a post-Houston show where we'll wrap up this back-to-back and find out which racers succeeded, which racers stumbled, and which competitors have taken advantage of this ever more busy part of the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing season. We'll be back next week.